for exclusive podcasts and more. Sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. This week's Law & Order Marathon winner is Bill Leonard of Genoa City, Wisconsin. Bill will get a marathon decal showing he watched 26.2 hours of his favorite crime show. To be next week's winner, sign up at lawandorderpodcast.com. I'm Kevin Flynn with Rebecca Lavoie and Ralph Castaneda. And these are their stories. You think you know who did it, but you don't know who did it. Law and order, law and order, law and order. It's no ordinary police procedural, baby. It's the FNOG of police procedures, baby. Law and order, law and order, law and order, law and order. These are their stories, these are their stories. Welcome to These Are Their Stories, the podcast about Network TV's most enduring crime franchise and the real-life cases that inspired their shows. I'm Kevin Flynn. Each podcast will break down an episode from either Criminal Intent, SVU, or Original Recipe. And Today, we're looking at Special Victims Unit, Season 18, Episode 3, Imposter. You want me to tell the world that I was willing to sleep with the admissions director to get my daughter into college? You didn't consent to having sex with Tom Metcalf. He defrauded you. We were two adults playing a game, and the hustler got hustled. Joining me to do just that is true crime author and the host of Crime Writers On, an undisclosed addendum, Rebecca Lavoy. Hello, Rebecca. Hello, Kevin. I told you. Women will do anything to get their kids into the right school. That's true. <laughs> and rounding out our panel is our special guest, Ralph Castaneda. Hi, Ralph. Hello. How will people know you? Probably um, from my uh, Twitter account, um, Official Hudson U. Uh, <laughs> so I guess they technically wouldn't know me, but they would at least know that um, Twitter account, possibly. Yeah, you run an incredible Twitter account. It's my favorite. Tweeting as Hudson University. <laughs> <laughs> Where did you get the idea to do that? Um, I, I always was kind of interested in doing something that was kind of a, a fake type Twitter account that was kind of funny. Um, I tried a couple of other uh, things, but they didn't quite work. Um, and then it kind of popped into my head that, you know, Hudson's just this crazy place. And what would, how would they deal with that uh all those problems and everything, uh, you know, happen on a day-to-day basis on their social media. So that's kind of where I got the idea, and I just sort of started, and it was just kind of cool because it started to grow. I mean, I don't have that many uh, followers at this point, but, uh, you know, it was just something I thought would be a fun way to make people laugh, or hopefully that they would like. So I have to share some of my favorite Hudson University tweets. There's so many. How are you going to pick? Ready? <laughs> are you ready, Rebecca? Yes. All right. So these, these, Ralph already wrote these, so I'm just going to give credit to him, but okay. let me read them. Our world-renowned crime scene forensics program offers <laughs> hands-on experience just steps away from and sometimes in the lecture halls. <laughs> <laughs> Yet another child of an NYPD detective attending Hudson University? Yes. Why would they send their kids to a dangerous, quote, crime college. (laughs) (laughs) On average, Hudson students receive less stringent prison sentences than students from other crime-ridden colleges. (laughs) It's been over a month since anyone has found a body in our famous Rose Garden. Hashtag choose Hudson. I like the the, the series that Ralph did on the don't you know who my father is uh, student IDs that you could Procure at <laughs> <Hudson> <laughs> University. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, did you lose something? Hudson's lost and found department probably doesn't have it because it was most likely stolen. <laughs> <laughs> Looking for pizza? Why not try Profacci's Pizza? <laughs> Their pizza is so good, you'll be shouting, oh, Profacci. <laughs> And campus security is currently being deposed, so you're on your own for an hour. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) All of Hudson is a disaster, but it is very prestigious still. So, Ralph, of all the franchises, which two cops are your favorite detective team? Favorite law and order detective team. Uh, My favorite detective team doesn't seem like it's very popular, at least um, here, but Goran and Eames. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Good pick. The thing that I love best about Goran is how he's... Just kind of this weird know-it-all who knows just about any weird fact. Uh, he sees some pollen on somebody's shoulder and says, you know, there's only two places where that pollen uh, can be found. One of which is in Costa Rica, and the other is in the Hudson Botanical Garden. And did you say you've never been to the uh, Hudson Botanical Garden? Uh, you know, and it's one of those things just like, how did he notice that? Or, or, you know, how would he even know a fact like that? And I think the thing that I like us with Eames is that, you know, she seems to be like the only person who would, uh, you know, who even thinks about uh, working with him. Yes, working with him. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. And she kind of keeps him in line, you know, makes sure he doesn't go uh, too crazy with things. And who's your favorite prosecutorial team? Favorite law and order district attorney prosecutorial team. My favorite is uh, probably, uh, and I think other people have this one too, it's uh, McCoy and... Uh, Claire Kincaid. Yeah. The thing that I just love about McCoy is how he sometimes he seems to be very dramatic about things, which I kind of find interesting, um, especially when uh, his one of his bosses, you know, just kind of tells him something like, you know, plead the guy out. I don't need this in an election year, you know, just right. right. <laughs> I think of the uh, all the ones um, Claire always seemed the more interesting. Claire Kincaid seemed the most interesting to me. And then also she, uh, I don't know, in, maybe it's that secret relationship possible relationship that they had but she also seems to be seem to me at least be the best person to uh pull back from you know get him to pull back and say you know hey maybe this is a bit crazy what that you're doing you know um maybe we should just uh leave this person out yeah they sound exactly like a a dating couple exactly (laughs) they totally do they totally do and let's look at the first half of this episode svu season 18 episode 3 imposter well, just as soon as Laura Collette's husband and son are leaving for a college tour of Boston, we see the swanky housewife in a swanky hotel getting it on with a silver fox. Mm. Soon after, she's in critical condition from an overdose. Obviously, this is a case for the sex police. Mm. Laura's last text was 11.56 last night. You're waiting me, burning hell. Okay, clear and concise. Not exactly. She sent a text to the same guy 10 minutes earlier. Incredible night. Just gonna say it. Best sex ever. In 10 minutes, she goes from best sex ever to you rape me? How the hell does that happen? Now, her husband has no idea why'd she cheat or try to kill herself. Her son Justin says he's stressed about getting into college, and that's all mom thinks about. They find security video of Laura and her date and learn she's been having lunches with the head of admissions of the prestigious... Hudson University, Alden Kessler. But when Rollins and Carisi go to his office, Kessler is not a silver fox. He's a tall black man. That's when Laura wakes up and she says she slept with the guy to get Justin into Hudson. But she accidentally OD'd after she discovered he was an imposter. Benson says, bullshit, that's rape. 
The mystery man sent her a note on Kessler's stationery, so he works at Hudson. They learn he's campus security officer Tom Metcalf, and they arrest him at a bar, pretending to be an admissions counselor, putting the moves on another yummy mommy. So, has she charged his hotel room to her card? Really? <laughs> I just want to know why the hotel room was so big. It was like a giant suite with a living room. If you're just going to use it for that one thing, I don't think you need the living room and the view and all the other amenities. Right, Ralph, you don't need a suite with a couch and a bar and fresh flowers if you're just getting it on, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, I think the thing that I kind of found funny was that um, that didn't really seem like a kind of a good pickup line at a bar to kind of go and say, hey, maybe I can get your kids into Hudson, you know, um, <laughs> not just because of Hudson's bad uh, reputation. But yeah, that just seems kind of like a weird thing that somebody would do to be able to get, you know, pick up people and take them back to his place. Uh, but, My you know, kids are in kindergarten. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is what we're all here for in this episode. A montage of people saying how prestigious Hudson is. She kept bugging me about Hudson. She really wants me to go there. She thinks it's so prestigious. We are Hudson, where the bad guys go to school. Oh my, I just can't. I just can't with the prestigious Hudson thing. It started like late, like, you know, maybe a few years into SVU because Hudson was just at the crime school, the crime school, the crime school forever. And I don't know if you remember this, but Elliot's daughter stopped talking to him because he didn't pay for her application to get into Columbia. Right. Not Hudson. And then, <laughs> I mean, they made a switch at some point. They just made the decision. We're just going to pretend this place is a good school. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that I, that's funny, I wonder how much um, he really likes his daughter if he you know, won't pay to send her to or to have her apply to Columbia, but is more than willing to have her go to Hudson, knowing all that's of right. the crazy things that happened there. All the arrests that he's made yeah. of students and teachers. <laughs> he figures he's cleaned them out by now. How, <laughs> how could they possibly get another class filled with, with criminals? Of course, now Carisi and Rollins muscle their way into the admissions office, only to find that the real Alden Kessler is actually a black guy, and they just can't tell him, oh, we were looking for a white guy? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's what they're thinking, right? <laughs> it's what we were all thinking. <laughs> Wait, you're not white. Like, end of conversation, right? <laughs> Wait, you're Alden Kessler. Is there a problem? Yeah, a tall white one. But instead he's looking at him like, well, why don't you think that it's me? <laughs> <laughs> don't I seem like the kind of person that someone would want to sleep with? <laughs> I mean, we all know that racial profiling and policing is bad, but yeah. sometimes it's Pretty Awkward. damn obvious. <laughs> <laughs> and we all get to learn how tough it is to be a rich white guy looking to get into college. Yeah. Yeah. There he is. Senior at York Prep. 3.9 GPA, 2250 SAT scores. That's good, right? Exceptional. The problem is we get 2,000 kids with similar credentials. We only accept 400. The other spots go to... International students, athletes, diversity candidates. So tough to be a rich white kid with great grades. That, that's what you're saying? At elite universities anyway. Man, I just feel so bad for rich white guys. Yeah, they have so many disadvantages. So many. <laughs> <laughs> this episode was really prescient, though, wasn't it? I mean, this is pre-college well, admission scandal, yeah. pre-Felicity Huffman and Lori Laughlin. That's what this is about. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe to an extreme. But I love how they just went uh, beyond, you know, the Aunt Becky phase and totally uh, mother gump to get her, her son into college. Exactly. <laughs> um, can we just talk for a second about how much Rollins hates Brooklyn? <laughs> okay. Well, I was set up an interview with me with some ADA from Brooklyn. Brooklyn. 
You're gonna have to grow a beard, start making artisan pickles. I'm just seeing what's out there, all right? Okay. For the record, I like artisan pickles. A job right, okay. In Brooklyn, okay. and she was like, okay. artisan pickles and okay. blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty funny. Hey, let's look at her. Hey, it's that guy. Hey, it's that guy. Or our Hey, it's that guy's. Uh, we'll start with the actor playing Tom Metcalf. Anybody know who that is? Uh, no, I, I, I didn't notice. He's 100% a Hey, it's that guy. Don't right. know his name, though. All right. That's Wallace Lingham. Mm-hmm. He played Donald Hodges for 12 seasons on CSI. Uh-huh. I told her I worked in admissions, and I left out the fact that I was a security guard, and she made assumptions. You know, as far as I know, that's not a crime. I even looked it up. He's currently in the Apple TV Plus show For All Mankind, mm. which, again, I can understand why nobody has ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, here's an interesting fact. He, he met his wife on the set of Weird Science. Nice. Uh, no, he did not get to see Kelly LeBrock in the shower, mm. but uh, it's been going ever since. Yes. I think. Yes. No, probably not. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> I actually thought he was well-suited for this. I believed him, though, more as a college admissions officer than I did as a, was he a janitor? Like, that Security was, guard. Yeah. It was hard to sort of see him walking oh, no, no, the he halls was community. Yeah. late at night with a flashlight and a mop or whatever. Much easier to sort of see him chatting up the hottie mommies in a bar. Uh, anybody recognize Judge Bertuccio? I would never ask a prosecutor to dismiss a case that he believes is worthy of the court's time. That would be an abuse of judicial power. No, I, I, I didn't. That's Vincent Curitola. You will remember him as Johnny Sack. From the uh, Sopranos. You know oh, I didn't yes. watch The Sopranos. <laughs> Stop trying to like get me to remember Sopranos. Oh, I'm sorry, Sopranos you were the wrong actors. one. Ralph, you'll remember him as Johnny Sack from The Sopranos. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, now I, I remember. Yeah, he's had nine Law & Order appearances. He started off his first appearance, he was a court clerk on Original Recipe in 1991, and now he's a judge, so... Yay, America? Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, someone's been taking night classes at Hudson. <laughs> and survived. Well, apparently it isn't so tough for a white guy in America. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's do our Hey, It's That Girls. Hey, it's that girl. Okay, can you name the actress playing Nikki Staines? Not too long ago, guys like this were called pickup artists or playboys. Today, in an attempt to gain media attention for himself and to advance his own personal liberal political agenda mr barba wants to call them rapists yes that's callie thorne from rescue me aka nikki stains from future law and order svu <laughs> you think she's going to be the next da i thought she was going to be the next da remember yeah yeah didn't turn out that way yeah ralph you've seen this actress in other places right uh-huh well you know her from blue bloods rescue me and homicide the wire and her show necessary roughness nine law and order appearances seven as Nikki Staines, uh, we can thank her for her final appearance when she threw herself on the hand grenade that was Peter Stone. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, who's playing Laura Collette? I mean, I'm stunned. I'm stunned. And I call him. I call this man that I just had sex with. Okay. And I confront him and he laughs at me. Uh, Rebecca's raising her hand. I can't see if Ralph is. I'm going to assume Ralph is raising his hand, but Rebecca beat him to it. Go ahead. That's Paula Marshall, Uh a perennial guest star on every sitcom slash drama that's ever been created. Uh She was like, 
on like two and a half men for a short arc. Yep. She was on um, Veronica, Mars. Veronica Mars for a short. She's like Miss Californication. She, she's a short arc queen. It's actually even more profound than that. She has been in a bunch of TV shows, leading roles or supporting roles that lasted less than a year. Yeah. You she's, know? she's an incredibly perennial, like, failure. I don't want to say failure to launch. She's obviously constantly working. She's yeah. obviously a successful actress. She really hasn't been able to latch on to a, a long term. There was one, uh, I forget the name of it, where she played the wife of the comedian. Hmm. I think it's like Living with Larry or something like that. But, yeah, yeah she really hasn't. Hasn't had that long... Life uh, with Gary, is that it? Life with Gary. Yes. Yes. But you know what? It's, it's almost like, um, remember in Mean Girls, it's like, fetch, it's not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> like, Paula Marshall, it's just not going to happen. Stop trying to make it a thing. It's not going to happen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this last month, she was on uh, Modern Family, and she is in Euphoria, mm. that critically acclaimed show on HBO. Uh, she's married to Danny Nucci. Do you know him? Nope. That actor? Anybody? Because you've seen him. I, th- I have. Think, yeah. I think I've seen him. Yeah, I think he was on uh, Blue Bloods. Uh, possible that he made an appearance there. But his big role, he was Fabrizio, mm. Leonardo DiCaprio's Italian friend on Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> he was there for King of the World. He was spotting him. Oh, okay. If only he'd been there to help him on that door. <laughs> oh, he was dead. He, he died in steerage. Don't you remember the movie? That's right. <laughs> so Paula Marshall has been nominated for Best Supporting Actress in Hellraiser 3. No. In the Fangoria Chainsaw Awards. Okay. <laughs> so not like the Oscars or even the Razzies. Uh, do you think Hellraiser 3 got an Oscar nomination? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I mean, that stupid movie about the Green Book did. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so basically, Finn says, if you live by the pork sword, you die by the pork sword. Oh, my sword. gosh, Finn. Just being real, lying to have sex is just part of the game. I mean, back in the day, I pretended to be Melly Mel's cousin one night. You trying to tell me that was rape? Ah, uh, things have changed, Finn. Not that much. Everybody's lying in the club. Sweet wisdom from Finn. <laughs> it's just game, man. It's just game. This is how we do it. We lie to chicks. To get what we want, it's just part of the game. That's actually one of the funniest things that I love about uh, about uh, Finn is, you know, just and you know, I guess it was kind of a meme, and I like kind of doing these myself. But how he kind of always knows what what's you know hip with the kids these days, and uh, yeah. you know, always knows all the slang. So yeah, it's always hilarious to hear some of the things you know that here he is, he's filling us in on you know what's going down with all these kids, you know, and it's hilarious. I, I just and, and that one's just really really uh, funny. So it's apparently it's apparent that Finn crushed some puss after saying he was related to Grandmaster Flash's songwriter. Melly Mel. <laughs> <laughs> this is cousin. <laughs> That's like a really like deep cut cousin that he's pulling out of the yeah. closet there. <laughs> Apparently it worked. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess being a distant relative of a rapper is all it takes to get it on with the ladies. I mean, can you imagine being the lady who's like, your cousin's Melly Mel? Uh, let's have Sploosh. sex, and then maybe someday you can introduce me <laughs> to Melly Mel. <laughs> so they asked someone if they can find Tom Metcalf. He punched out at five twelve. Can you call him? Find out where he is. You know, pretend you got to talk to him about work or something. So they contact him so they can see where he is from work, and they find him in a bar putting the moves on another mother. So why would they call him on his day off and he'd say, yeah, I'm at the porch light on 11. Why are you asking? <laughs> yeah, I wonder that too, if they, maybe uh, Hudson, you know, because of all the crime that happens there, they put a tracker 
on all of their employees, so that way they know where they are at any time, you know, just for uh, an alibi. Well, or, or for the convenience of getting the cops. <laughs> yeah. To get to the cops right away. Did you notice when they walked into the bar, you could hear bits of everybody's conversation, and everybody was lying? Really? Yeah. You know, I played baseball at Vanderbilt. You really work at Goldman. Don't take this the wrong way, but you look like a construction worker. I produce movies, mostly comedies. You ever hear the 40-year-old version? No way, that's one of my pick it up somebody was talking about how much money they made huh. and you know it was all this other stuff where they're trying to make the point players lie hmm. which is finn's point hmm. finn is wrong <laughs> <laughs> did we uh notice the mascot at hudson university which i've never noticed before or since this episode was the hudson hawks the hudson hawk hawk <laughs> the hawk <laughs> or what is that the name of a tv show the H- hudson hawk it, it, was it that the movie with uh, Bruce Willis? Yes, it was. yes, that's it. That's right. Yes, and that also was a crime. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> there is one very realistic detail about Hudson, mascot aside. Yeah. Sixty-eight grand a year for this? I don't get all the fuss. Yeah, me neither. A lot of people do. Sixty-eight grand a year is exactly what college cost <laughs> yeah. in twenty seventeen or whenever this episode came out. Even the prestigious <laughs> Hudson University. Probably like eighty five grand a year in, you know, two thousand nineteen dollars. Yeah. <laughs> they keep having to replace faculty because they're always right. getting indicted. Very high administrative costs for turnover. Indicted or murdered. Oh that's true. There's always an opening at Hudson. Yeah. <laughs> all right, now let's take a look at the second half of the episode. Tom Metcalf it's not all that embarrassed he landed a chick by saying he was someone he wasn't. Have you ever impersonated other people? Come on, man to man. Like I said, it's not against the law. If you ask me, it's a brilliant strategy. Like taking advantage of the tax code. You find a loophole, you exploit it. Well, then you got nothing to worry about. That's my point. So you have impersonated other people? Of course. Well, hold on, let me guess. Hedge fund guy, right? Oh, please. That's for rookies. I play much more sophisticated angles. He's right. There's no law against being a dog. But Barbara says, well, there's rumblings in Albany about a bill. (laughs) (laughs) Carisi and Rollins learn Metcalf is meeting right now with another mommy in a luxury apartment. She's embarrassed and won't testify, and neither will the other woman. They find that he secretly videotaped. Barbara says, hey, there's no crime here. But because Benson will not leave this shit alone, <laughs> he agrees to press charges for rape. Judge Bertoli privately confronts Barbara, if private means a New York City sidewalk. Uh, he doesn't like the politics of it, prosecuting someone for something that's not against the law. To which America says, are you new to law and order? <laughs> Metcalf's attorney, Nikki Staines, argues he may be a pickup artist, but he's not a rapist. Laura is humiliated on the stand. The judge pulls them both into chambers and essentially orders them to plead this out before they embarrass themselves. Metcalf pleads to a misdemeanor. When Olivia goes to Laura's house to break the news, she finds that a despondent Justin has thrown himself over the balcony. Okay, Barbara starts by saying... The law doesn't cover that type of behavior. Okay, so maybe it's time we update New York law into the 21st century. Well, there have been rumblings about a new bill in the legislature. Okay. In case like this could kickstart things. Hey, there is no law against this, but there are rumblings about a bill. <laughs> it's not the law. It's not even a proposed law. It's the rumor of a law. <laughs> What's so funny is like, what does he think this case is going to do? Like some, some like state senator in Albany is going to be like... 
well, there was a case. Now it needs to be a law. That's like literally not how law works. <laughs> it's like the I'm just a bill commercial. You're right. That ought to be a law. <laughs> so later he says, like, he can't charge him. And Benson says he has to. So he says, you win. Okay. You win. Yeah. Always. Just like that. Always. What a litigator. This is why people think that Barbara was in love with Olivia. This is why. Because this happens all the time on the show where she's like, no, he is guilty. I know there's no evidence. I know it's not against the law, but you have to do it. And he's like, "Mm, good. Yeah, I guess that is what a guy in love with a girl would do. Whatever you want, honey. I guess the other... uh ADAs would usually say, oh, yeah, no, I'm not going to charge this crime. And normally there's something else that usually happens that then, you know, okay, well, now that this other thing has happened, well, that's enough. We're going to charge him. But yeah, this one was kind of weird. Well, it's weird with Barbara, like you were saying, that he constantly just kind of caves in and um, instead of even really arguing much, just says, yeah, yeah, we'll charge him. I mean, you know, you know, who who cares if we lose or whatever, which, of course, is not what he would have done in real life if that was uh, the case. Yeah, he's like, we still have 20 minutes of this episode to go. So <laughs> exactly. Of course exactly. we're going to move along. So how does unemployed security guard Tom Metcalf afford an attorney like Nikki Staines? How does he get afford a, uh, an apartment full of fraud stuff? <laughs> <laughs> well, they explained that, that it was sort of a scam between yeah. his friend, the doorman, and, you know, some guy, some rich guy was going to be out of the country. Right. So... That's how he had that beautiful apartment. No, but he also has all of the IDs and all of the fraud stuff. And then they're like, today oh. is the day. See you tomorrow afternoon at the Strathmore. Can't wait, Aaron. Uh, sounds like another potential Vic. What's the Strathmore? A new luxury building in Soho. Prices start at $10 million. What was that note sent? Yesterday. Today's the day. All right, we might be able to stop this. I'll call if... He's going to rape again today. Because they find like his date book or whatever it is. So much fraud. Like, this guy has means for a guy who works as a nighttime security guard at Hudson. Kind of makes you wonder, like, how much they're paying the nighttime security guards at Hudson. And then you realize how much it is they probably have to do as a nighttime security guard at Hudson. And it all kind of makes sense. You're like, that probably is a very high paying job. Ralph, I think it's pretty obvious that the security guards at Hudson aren't doing anything. Yeah, pretty much. Um, And then even worse, when uh, they actively try to prevent the NYPD from doing anything, that's always kind of... uh, interesting you know when they're it's like oh well you know they kind of barge in and they're just like no stop you're not supposed to go in there i'm the security guard oh yeah we'll just go in (laughs) so metcalf wrote down the address of that rendezvous Mm. why did he's been there at least four other times that we know of why does he need to write down the address i don't think he does and what's funny is that they run into him in the elevator in that building coming out of the alley. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been like in an apartment building in New York, Kevin, but like you can live in the same building as somebody forever and never run into them, mm-hmm. much less in the elevator the first time you go to that address. Well, that guy's always getting lucky in so many ways. <laughs> but can we get back to Nikki Staines for a minute? Um, who did she think he was when she slept with him? <laughs> what? She slept with him too? No, but how else could he have afforded her? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> He's thinking this... She's thinking, this security guard is actually the son of a multimillionaire, so <laughs> I'm on retainer. The weird thing is, normally they would, we actually hear that. They kind of have like a throwaway line of, you know, well, gee, you know, how's he able to afford you? Oh, well, I'm volunteering because I believe, you know, pro, I'm working pro bono because of whatever. And yeah, that was kind of weird that she was just there and there wasn't any attempt to explain why, how, you know, the client could afford um, an expensive lawyer. She's just there to make a statement. Stand yeah. up for what's right. Stand up for what's right. <laughs> <laughs> she likes to win. <laughs> so this is another episode in the USA Network. Is this really rape marathon? Mm. Uh, Ralph. Wait, is that really the name of one of the marathons? No. 
but it ought to be. <laughs> exactly. Right. There's the you know there have been certainly in the later seasons an episode or two each. It's 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 kind of dark as far as uh, or unclear as you know whether legally this action is rape or you know whether this was consensual or not because a lot of times the lines are blurred in real life and or whether we're news- just going to make a new law. Yeah, yeah. I'll get to that, okay? But Ralph, let me get your wrong answer first, okay? Is this rape? (laughs) I think it is. Okay, maybe he's got a right answer. What do you think, Rebecca? 100% it is. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Here's the thing. Yeah, is it a consent thing? This is one of those situations where if it were any other crime, you would not be asking this question, right? So, Kevin, Mm -hmm. you lied about who you are. And successfully got a job as a police officer. Is that a crime? Uh, that is a crime. You lied about who you are. That's fraud. Exactly. And, um, you know, were, and went and got that's a, not a sex crime. $500,000 right. mortgage on a house. Is that a crime? Uh, yeah, probably. You yeah. lied about who you are and probably had sex with crime, somebody but... who thought you were a different person. Why is that not a crime? That's why it's rape. Get it? It's another example of like how rape is just he- like held to some sort of weird different standard uh-huh. than other kinds of crimes where it's super obvious that it's right. a crime. The thing that the writers are bringing up is that people lie all the time about who they are. How much money or, they make. Or, yeah, or something about them that makes them seem more attractive. There's a hookup, and while that may be morally wrong, should that be a crime? Yes. It should be a crime. No, no, okay. no not, not to lie. I mean, it's a di- there's a difference between saying I make $100,000 a year. Is the, is the crime part that she thought she was doing it because she was getting something out of it? Perhaps. And then is that? <laughs> is it perhaps it's a different kind of crime also. It is a different kind of crime. <laughs> All right. Now, they don't say it out loud, but just in case you can't piece together what happened, there is an unending string of shots showing us that Justin has jumped to his death. <laughs> There's a wide shot of the building, then a medium shot of the blood from his head, and then a shot of Olivia looking up and pan up the side of the building, and then a long shot down the side of the building, and a close-up on the blood (laughs) on the ground again. It's like, we get it. (laughs) We get what happened. I wonder if they had extra minutes to (laughs) film. We're in courtroom scenes. It's like, oh, we got 45 seconds? (laughs) Well, we can drag this out. Maybe somebody really flubbed the line, just explaining what happened, and they had to go back and do that in post to try to tell (laughs) viewer that was a lot of poor laura screaming i know i i really didn't like the end of this episode it made me very uncomfortable a because there's two like references to you know suicide in the episode the beginning with paula who paula marshall who says that she you know accidentally overdosed but we all know you know she was despondent because she realized she got taken or whatever Mm -hmm. but there's no indication in this entire episode that their poor son you know, suffers from mental illness or is despondent in well, any way. He said he was, I mean, he was like, oh, I'm stressed out. And then like when they go for the visit, he walks by and goes up the stairs, doesn't talk to him. So I guess you're supposed to put it together looking back. What is the implication, though? Is the implication that he... He's uh, not getting in a Hudson, apparently. Is that the implication that he ended up uh, dying by suicide because he didn't get? He's not going to get into the college he wants, or is it because he realized his mom is a terrible person? Like, what? Why did he do it? Like, they don't really possibly, possibly embarrassment because maybe he figured that once this trial happens, he's going to be you know the kid whose mother um, slept his way into Hudson or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, the big question is why don't you just Photoshop your kid's head on a water polo player yes. like everybody else does these days. <laughs> 
All right, well, let's take a look at the real-life story that inspired this episode. It's time for Ripped from the Headline. Can't wait. You think you know who did it. You think you know who did it. But you don't know who did it. You don't know who did it. Ripped from the Headlines. This story is inspired by the case of Jared Rorig. In July 2009, Jared was home alone when his twin brother's girlfriend came over. An orange Connecticut police officer, Jared pretended to be his brother Joe and invited the woman into the hot tub. After some snogging, he led the woman into Joe's bedroom. During sex, the woman noticed something about her lover was different. The cowboy tattoo on his bum had gone. When confronted, Jared still pretended to be Joe, said he never had a tattoo. The hysterical woman tried to flee, but the imposter held her down and continued the encounter. Later, he texted the girlfriend as Joe to apologise for Jared's behaviour. Police charged Jared with sexual assault, but citing vagaries in the law that harmed their case, prosecutors reduced the charges. He pleaded no contest to unlawful restraint and criminal impersonation. Jared Rorig received three years probation. Wow. So, uh, tattoo on my ass? What tattoo on my ass? Oh mm. my goodness. A cowboy. Yes. Cowboy tattoo. A cowboy tattoo. So, I have a question about this. Yeah. She, in the middle of having sex with what she thought was her boyfriend, realized uh-huh. it wasn't, and tried to get him to stop, and he didn't, and forcibly held her down. Held her down. quote, as you had Cy very uh, politely say, continue the encounter. That was rape. That was extreme. Like, what is the vagary in the law there? What is the vagary? This is the thing about... <laughs> about she, Connecticut? Connecticut. <laughs> I, I'm, not sh- I'm not sure. I'm trying to think back on, on the research. where He definitely held her wrist down and, went, and restrained her. She didn't want which to. Is, which, yeah. Which and is, she, he kept going. I, I'm not sure he kept the sexual okay. part of it up. Um. You know, I'm, we're splitting hairs here. Okay. But that's what happened. She clearly realized something was wrong in the yeah. middle of this yeah. and wanted to run away. And then there's all this begging and pleading and, oh, no, it was actually my bro- It's the wrong brother. And it's uh, it's just weird. I think anybody here go to school with identical twins? Yes. Ralph, you? No. You know, the, the, the challenge has always been, hey, you know, if we change clothes in the middle of the day. Can we switch places? Or the, can we switch places? I think the challenge definitely has been thrown down. To appear as the other one, and they said, "Hey, we did it in math class. Maybe I can do it in the hot tub." Ugh. I don't think the other was the other the other brother in on it though. He wasn't, right? No, I mean they did think at first that maybe he was. Yeah. Um, and they determined later that no, that he was not uh, responsible. You would think though, if they had planned this, he would never have gotten a tattoo on his ass to begin with, because that's just <laughs> like a tell, right? It's the way mom can tell him apart. You never want to switch places naked. If, and then have one of you get a tattoo on your ass. It kind of ruins the whole thing. I think that part of the, the vagary of the law has to do with consent. Mm. Because she willingly went to bed with this guy. And because part of this is just it's a, not the right guy, that the law isn't explicit about that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To me, that's weird because it does seem much more blatant and obvious that, you know, that was rape. Um, so it's kind of interesting how SVU, I, I, sometimes I, I, when there's a differentiation between uh, the real life case and um, law and order, usually I'm kind of sitting there thinking, well, why did they change it? Either the actual case was more interesting or, uh, you know, it, it just seems odd what they chose to concentrate on. 
you know, for a particular crime. But this one, I mean, I, I think that was actually uh, they muddied the waters more with what they wrote versus that one, because in my mind, that blatantly was rape. I, and I thought both of them were rape. But of course, you know, the, the SVU episode actually makes it I guess it, the waters seem much more muddier. That other the actual case seems definitely blatantly rape. So that, that just kind of I guess it didn't surprise me. I but. think the thing that they took from that was sort of was the legal the legal yeah. argument or that part of it as opposed to maybe, you know, the imposter coming in. Uh, so this girl, you know, broke up with Joe mm. and it wasn't some some kind of consensual sex swap between him and his brother. Yeah. But so like when the brother gets caught, I mean, like, isn't it always like they say it wasn't me, it's him and. Yeah. Don't you think? Yeah. I want to know what Thanksgiving is like now. <laughs> I want to know how the Jared got Joe to lend him his phone to send the message to the girl. <laughs> hey, hey, man, can I borrow your phone for a sec? So it is interesting. So this is, uh, if this is the case that inspired this episode, um, it's interesting that they went with this college storyline as a replacement. It uh-huh. really is because it's like an interesting sort of more murky, obviously, at least the writers are concerned. But there have been other episodes in SVU where there were twins... Uh, most notably, the one with T.R. Knight from Grey's Anatomy, who played George, uh-huh. who was accused of rape, but he's like a nice guy, and he insists he didn't do it, and he insists, and he has like a telltale tattoo, uh-huh. but they're like, that's that's him. Turns out, he has a long-lost twin he never knew about who got the same tattoo on purpose, yeah, so that he could impersonate him and set him up for the- Remember that episode? I do remember that. That one was- Side note, bananas. I just wanted to talk about it. We've never done it on the show. Now I've had my opportunity. Well, it's been long documented that Law and Order hates twins. <laughs> twins, <laughs> hey, people from Vermont, gingers. We're just adding people in wheelchairs, just adding to the list. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that's going to do it for us. We want to thank our guest, Ralph Castaneda. Ralph, where can our listeners follow you online? Um, on Twitter at, at officialhudsonu um, or uh, by website, which has other things, uh, ralphland.com. Yeah, I definitely recommend everybody subscribe to uh, the Hudson University it's site. It's my favorite it's Twitter account. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Uh, Rebecca Lavoy, how can our listeners follow you? Uh, on Twitter and Instagram at Reb Lavoy. And of course, they can also listen to Crime Writers On. Uh, and you can track me on Twitter at Kevin P. Flynn. You can also tweet to us at Law and Order Pod or follow us on Instagram at These Are Their Stories Podcast. Our newsreader was Cy Freighter. Our theme music was composed and performed by Uncanny Valleys. Line editing by Henry Lavoy. Content assistance from Travis Roy, Lily Flynn handles promotions. To get ad-free episodes of These Are Their Stories a week early, sign up for Stitcher Premium. Get your first month free at stitcherpremium.com slash crime. All clips of this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act Fair Use Exemption for criticism and commentary. Special thanks to the elite squad of the Law & Order Wiki community for preserving the evidence. If you want to know what episodes we're talking about in our upcoming shows, go to lawandorderpodcast.com. Sign up for our newsletter for a chance to be our next Law & Order Marathon winner. These Are Their Stories was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio and is a production of Partners in Crime Media. Partners in Crime Media.